The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Let's talk about baseball. Good morning, everyone. Happy Wednesday. I'm Daniel Port, your host today. There is so much baseball that we have to get to today that we're going to not waste any time at all. We're going to jump straight into it uh, here, starting with the MLB news and notes. The Baltimore Orioles announced Rudin Odor is day-to-day with a hand contusion. He was not in Tuesday's lineup against the Nationals. We'll have to monitor his status for today. The Boston Red Sox announced Nathan Eovaldi through a live batting practice session yesterday. We'll wait to see how that went. And Trevor Story is listed as day-to-day with a heel injury. He was not in Tuesday's lineup against the Yankees. The Chicago Cubs announced Rafael Ortega suffered a fractured left ring finger during Tuesday's win over the Mets and will miss the rest of the season. They also announced that Stephen Brault threw a bullpen session yesterday, and Keegan Thompson will begin a rehab assignment on Friday. Justin Steele threw a bullpen session Monday without any issue, and Nico Horner was not in the lineup for Tuesday's game against the Mets as he's dealing with a tricep injury. According to the White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, Tim Anderson is resuming baseball activities and could return at some point during next week's homestand if all goes well. The Cincinnati Reds announced that Jake Fraley is not experiencing any concussion symptoms as a result of the pitch that struck him on the head in the first game of Tuesday's doubleheader with the Pirates. The Cleveland Guardians have announced that Aaron Savali is targeting a September 20th return against the White Sox. The Colorado Rockies do not have a timeline right now for when Jose Iglesias will return from a a thumb injury that's placed him on the 10-day injury list. And Chris Bryant, according to manager Bud Black, uh, shed his protective walking boot on Tuesday, is taking swings and increasing his activity in the weight room, though the slugger does remain without an official return timeline. The Los Angeles Dodgers announced that Gavin Lux is day-to-day with a back injury. He was out of the lineup on Tuesday against Arizona and is scheduled to participate in a simulated game Wednesday while expecting to return to action Friday against San Francisco. Tony Gonsolin wasn't able to throw at full intensity during his bullpen session on Sunday, but he'll have another such session uh, today, and the team still believes the hurler will be able to return by the end of the season. And finally, Blake Trinan played catch Sunday and expressed optimism that he'll be ready to return from the 15-day injury list prior to the postseason. The Miami Marlins placed Avisel Garcia on the 10-day injury list yesterday with a hamstring injury. The Minnesota Twins have listed Max Kepler as day-to-day with a leg injury. He was not in Tuesday's lineup against the Royals. And the New York Mets are expecting to activate Max Scherzer from the injury list when first eligible on September 19th. For the New York Yankees, Anthony Rizzo will not play until this weekend in Milwaukee at the earliest as he's still dealing with a head injury. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Wheeler threw a bullpen session Tuesday and will throw again on Friday. 
The Pittsburgh Pirates announced David Bednar will begin a rehab assignment Tuesday with AAA Indianapolis. And Mitch Hanniger for the Seattle Mariners uh, wasn't in the lineup on Tuesday against the Padres. He may not return to action until Friday's series opener against the Angels as he's dealing with a back injury. For the St. Louis Cardinals, Stephen Matz made another rehab appearance with AAA Memphis yesterday. And Dylan Carlson took swings to, uh, yesterday as well and could begin a minor league rehab assignment as early as Friday. For the Tampa Bay Rays, Brandon Lau was placed on the 10-day injury list with lower back discomfort ahead of Game 2 of Tuesday's doubleheader against the Blue Jays. This transaction is retroactive to September 12th. And for the Washington Nationals, Mackenzie Gore is scheduled to make his next rehab start Friday with AAA Rochester. And Victor Robles is day-to-day -day with a neck injury. He was not in the lineup for yesterday's game against the Orioles. So that's all of our injury news and notes for the day. Let's move on to the hitters that caught my eye yesterday. For the Pirates, Rodolfo Castro went two for eight across a doubleheader with two doubles, a run scored, and a walk. I talked about Castro extensively yesterday, so check out that podcast episode if you want more information on why I like Castro. But it was nice to see him follow up yesterday's performance with two doubles today. The first one was kind of weird. It was on a check swing opposite field that beat the shift, but, you know, that's baseball for you. The second one, though, was absolutely smoked into the opposite field gap. I bring this up because this is one of the additional things I really love about Castro is that he can drive the ball for power to the opposite field. 20% of his hits on the season are to the opposite field over his career and four of his extra base hits are also to the opposite field which accounts for 15 percent of his career extra base hits this kind of all fields power should suit him well as he continues to develop i really really like to see this also for the pirates cabrian hayes went two for four with a double a home run two runs scored and rbi in a walk you know we talked yesterday about how hayes needed to start lifting the ball in the air and hitting it a bit harder and he clearly heard me he got all of this home run there was no gimme to it it was at 424 feet to dead center he's got eight hits in his last eight games in september it's worth noting he put four balls in play yesterday three of them to the pull side and one to the opposite field. He's got a 33% pull percentage in September so far, which is the highest for any month so far this season, and actually of any full month of his career. This is definitely worth monitoring to see if he's making that adjustment and starting to reach for more power, start pulling the ball, start hitting the air more often. We could really see a breakout next year for Cabrian Hayes if that happens. For the Rays, Jonathan Aranda went two for seven with his first career home run. Congratulations, Jonathan, with an RBI, a run scored, and a walk. I talked a lot about Aranda yesterday, so check that episode out as well. It's wor uh, worth noting today that he was at first base today and was at second base yesterday, then first base the day before that, while also playing third base last Saturday. So the Rays are showing a willingness to kind of move him around the diamond and do what it takes to keep his bat in the lineup right now. And that means good things if he's on your team or if you go pick him up, he's going to get playing time. He's going to hit. For the Guardians, Oscar Gonzalez went two for four with his eighth home run, two RBIs, and a walk. Gonzalez has been really starting to make a big, big approach change over the last, you know, 15 games or so. He's been on fire. He's hitting 370 in his last seven games with an 815 slugging percentage. He's got three home runs over that time period to go along with three walks, six runs scored, and eight RBIs. Over his last 15 games, he's still hitting 288 with a 508 slugging percentage. And over his last 30 games, he's hitting 283 with a 492 slugging percentage and five home runs. And if I'm being honest, his home run today, I think this ball was still going up when it got out. That's how hard he hit this ball. I mentioned last week, he increased his barrel rate in September to around 11%, and he's maintained that since then. He's now up to 11.4% for his barrel rate for the month of September, coming into uh, yesterday's game. And he's added a barrel with this home run today. 
Uh, before this game, though, he had 16 barrels on the year, and he's another one of those hitters I like to talk about where he makes the most of his barrels. Just three of those 16 barrels have turned into outs on the season, while six of them went for home runs that averaged around 398 feet in distance. The other seven were all doubles that averaged around 375 feet in distance. That's impressive as heck. Add in uh, yesterday's barreled home run that went 366 feet, and you get an impressive picture of what this guy can do if he continues barreling the ball at that 11.4% rate over the pace of a season. To look at his schedule coming up, he hits right-handers really well, I want to mention. He's hitting 297 with a 350 Woba and a 130 WRC Plus with 11 of his 16 barrels coming against right-handed pitching. He gets Patrick Sandoval tomorrow as a lefty, but after that he gets Lance Lynn, who's a righty, and four games against the Minnesota Twins, who are almost entirely right-handed pitching in their rotation, and then heads back to Chicago for four more games against the White Sox, and their rotation is also comprised completely of righties. So, that is a really nice sort of stretch of games for Oscar Gonzalez. He'd definitely be a huge boost for you here, for your team down the line here, and I honestly, he's one of my go-to breakout player picks for next year as well. For the Tigers, Eric Haas went one for four with a double and an RBI. He's been on fire his last seven games, hitting 429 with an 893 slugging percentage and three home runs in, the, in his last seven games. And... He's made some really interesting adjustments. He's got around an 8% barrel rate on the year, but he has actually increased that over his last 15 games to a 13.5% barrel rate uh, to go along with that added power. And when I started trying to look and see what change had happened here, what I noticed was Haas's Z-swing percentage over those last 15 games went way up, nearly 7% to 79.1%, and that indicates he's being much more aggressive in the zone, which is leading to uh, him making better contact and bringing that barrel rate up to that 13.5%. Now, when to dive a little deeper in that, the biggest key to this, though, is on pitches in the heart of the plate. On the season, he's at 394 on pitches in what StatCast refers to as the heart of the zone. And before this 15-game stretch, he swung at 71.5% of the pitches in that area. But over his recent run of success, he's up that percentage to 82%. So not only is he swinging at more pitches in the zone, but he's swinging at the pitches he can do the most damage with, all while maintaining his contact rates. That is huge. Given his fly ball rates and his pull rates, it's not surprising he's crushing the ball. Detroit still has to finish up their current series in Houston, but after that, they head to the White Sox. The White Sox have thrown the 15th most pitches in the heart of the zone. Baltimore, who they then head to after this, ranks sixth in that category. They then, after that, head back to Chicago, and then finally, they get Kansas City to wrap up next week, who has the fourth most pitches thrown in the heart of the zone by their pitching staff. So if Haas can maintain this level of aggressiveness, he could feast over the next two weeks, given how well he hits balls in that area. And if you need any help at catcher at all, or if you're streaming catchers, he could be a really solid addition heading into the playoffs. For the Phillies, Nick Maton went one for three with a run scored, two RBIs, and a home run. This is his fifth home run on the season. He's now hitting 286 on the year with a 673 slugging percentage. He just got brought up, so he's only got 49 at-bats at the Major League level this year. So with such a small sample to go on, it can be helpful to take a look at Maton's minor league track record and some of the scouting reports around him to see what we should expect from him the rest of the season and heading into next year. To take a look at Fangraphs, they named him the 16th prospect in the Phillies organization coming into the season, and they felt like he was a really great defender who would find a bit of a niche in baseball as sort of a power over hit infielder who needed to kind of make the most of his heavy fly ball and pull approach to get the most out of the contact that he does make. And that's actually kind of how he's worked so far at the major league level. He's only got two barrels on the season. Both those barrels were home runs though, with each measuring 
397 feet and 414 feet respectively. Today's home run was hit with a 107.3 mile per hour exit velocity and technically wasn't classified as a barrel because it was uh, two degrees short of the minimum launch angle at 24 degrees, but it still traveled 408 feet. He absolutely clobbered this ball. When you look at it in that perspective, I think that this fits that profile that Fangraphs gave him to start the season. He has eight extra base hits in just 22 games so far this season, which is really impressive. And while I think that power might remain, especially given the home ballpark he gets to play in, I can't imagine he continues to hit for the sort of average or consistency that he has so far in the majors. Because when you look at Baseball America's 2022 midseason scouting report on Maton, they felt he had developed the ability to crush fastballs down in the minors, even if it was elite velocity on those fastballs. And he's done that so far in the majors as well. But he would struggle to hit off-speed and breaking balls. And that has been true as well so far, as he's hit 345 with four home runs and 10 of his 14 hits on the season against fastballs. On the other hand, he's hit just 154 with two doubles against breaking balls and 100 against off-speed pitches, with the only hit he has on the season on an off-speed pitch being a home run. It is an incredibly small sample, so it's hard to draw full concrete conclusions here, but that does reflect what both Fangraphs was saying and what Baseball America was saying in the scouting reports, so that kind of gives us an idea of what we should expect from Maton. In terms of his upcoming schedule, unfortunately, they go on the road next for three games against the Marlins, which is tough for home runs, obviously, and then off to Atlanta for four games. They are The park itself is average for power, but Atlanta themselves do not give up a lot of home runs as a pitching staff. That makes picking up Maton much less interesting for this week. Now, next week, they return home against Toronto, and their pitching staff has the ninth worst home run per nine on the season. They'll play them for two games, and then they get four more against Atlanta. And like I said, they barely give up home runs as a staff. But with that in mind, it will be at home, so he does get to hit in Citizens Bank Ballpark. So it's not a terrible matchup. If nothing else, he's someone we should keep our eye on for next year for sure. Now, for the Twins, Jose Miranda went two for two with two walks and his 15th home run on the season, and two RBIs. Over his last seven games, Miranda's been absolutely on fire. He's hitting 346 with a 654 slugging percentage and two home runs over that time period. You know, the comparison that we've seen made is that Miranda reminds a lot of people of Ty France in a lot of ways, and he's slowly and surely starting to barrel the ball more. Uh, on the season, he's got roughly around a 6.6% barrel rate, but in September, he has that up to above an 8% barrel rate, which is very encouraging. 11 of his 15 home runs have come on barrels, so the more we see a rise in that barrel rate, perhaps the more power we can start to expect from Miranda. Either way, he's an incredibly balanced hitter, hitting in the heart of the Twins lineup. He has been fantastic all season long. He has two more games coming up this week against Kansas City, and then he has a five-game series against Cleveland. Then they go back to Kansas City and finally have three games against the Angels to finish out next week. The games against the Guardians aren't really that great. The, the, they have the eighth-best ERA on the year, and he'll have to face both Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie in that series, but he should be dynamite in Kansas City and against the Angels, which should make it worth it if you want to go pick up Jose Miranda. For the Rockies, Alan Trejo went one for three with two RBIs and his third home run on the season. He's now hitting 266 on the year with a 453 slugging percentage, but over his last seven games, he's 364 with a 727 slugging percentage, including two home runs, Five RBIs and four runs. And it's weird. I'm not sure what to make of Trejo. He's looked very good so far since being called up in just 68 plate appearances. He's already got three home runs and three doubles. Uh, he is hitting the ball very well. But the underlying numbers give you some concern. He doesn't have any stack-ass numbers to pop out at you. 
and actually since his time in the minors, he's dropped his fly ball percentage and his pull percentage. Uh, and you kind of go back, he starts showing some pretty good power potential in 2021 down in AAA where he had 17 home runs in 363 plate appearances. They brought uh, The Rockies brought him up for a short 28-game cup of coffee there at 25 years old. And then he started this year back down at AAA and he got even better. He had, he, uh, had 16 home runs in just 67 games before getting called up again. And he's appeared to picked up uh, picked up right where he left off here in the majors. Again, though, I just can't figure out what change happened in the minors to allow him to start hitting for power. And actually, if you look again, his fly ball rate and his pull percentage have dropped even in the minors over his career. So I'm not sure what is going on here. Uh, it's a really small sample, so it could simply just be luck. And I think I need to see more before I know what to make of his performance and make a good recommendation on whether or not we should be picking him up. But definitely keep an eye on him. It may be a, some kind of a breakout or big adjustment that was made that we don't know about yet. So definitely watch Trejo. For the White Sox, Elvis Andrews went two for three with a double, a run scored, and a walk. He has been hitting fantastic over his last seven games with a 310 average and a 586 slugging percentage. He's got two home runs, four walks, seven runs scored in his last seven games. Over his last 15 games, he scored 12 runs while hitting 349 with a 667 slugging percentage and five home runs. He's hitting way more line drives so far this season. That's made a big difference. And he's pulling the ball up into the 40% range uh, for the first time. Uh, in a while, and a lot of those changes have come since coming to the White Sox. They've put him in as the leadoff hitter most days, and he has turned into an absolute doubles machine leading off for them. Now, looking at sort of his extra base hits in September, two of his four home runs have come against his former team in Oakland, who have a terrible pitching staff right now. So you take that with a grain of salt. And actually, the third home run was against a position player, uh, so it's hard to take that one seriously. Now, when looking at the doubles power, though, that I feel like it can also partially be explained by playing series in Oakland, Seattle, and Minnesota. All of those parks are pretty spacious and are sort of ripe for doubles if you can put them in the right spots. And maybe that's a factor as to what's going on. But either way, Andrews is thriving right now and is playing like he's four or five years younger. They have one more game today against Colorado and Kyle Freeland, which is a nice matchup. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then they had the Cleveland for one game, and then it's off to Detroit for three more. They then head home for three more games against Cleveland, and three more finally against Detroit to finish off next week. The games against the Guardians obviously aren't ideal. We just talked about how good their pitching staff has been. But it could be worth getting through those games to get to the games against Detroit where Andrews should excel. If you need help and runs scored and maybe get the occasional stolen base or right now even, heck, a couple home runs chipped in, Elvis Andrews is a great option there leading off for one of the best offenses in baseball. So those are the hitters that have caught my eye yesterday. But moving into the pitching, for the Diamondbacks, Merrill Kelly went five innings pitched, giving up three earned runs on five hits, five walks, and eight strikeouts while giving up also two home runs. You know, this was against the Dodgers. And so I'll obviously take anything that wasn't a complete disaster, especially when he also gives you eight strikeouts. My only real cause for concern in this is the sudden increase in walks and home runs. I figure the home runs uh, are likely just regression, starting to finally catch up with Merrill Kelly, as home runs have plagued him in the past and have been kind of his Achilles heel. But he's not really known for walking a ton of hitters. So you have to wonder what happened in this start. Was he just being cautious and trying to pitch around players? The Dodgers do have the second highest walk rate in the majors, so that might be some of it. But it's definitely worth keeping an eye on here down the stretch. I've ridden him so far this year, and he's been fantastic for me, so I'm sticking with him the rest of the way. He gets the Padres next, and I mentioned this yesterday, but the Padres have been slumping hard as an offense for about a month now, so I'm okay starting him there. Uh, I'm going to trust him uh, to take me down the line. For the Twins, Joe Ryan went seven innings pitched with two walks and nine strikeouts. 
Ryan was fantastic in this one. He actually left the game after seven innings pitched with a no-hitter intact, but he had already thrown 106 pitches, and that is way too high of a risk, especially considering he's dealt with some injuries over the season, and the Twins have a playoff push looming as they try to make up ground back here in the AL Central. You can't risk him hurting himself trying to chase a no-hitter. He Going into this game, it was really interesting. He made a pitch mix change in where he leaned more on his curveball in this game as a second offering as opposed to his slider. And it really was very successful. It had a 36 CSW percentage. And, it, you know, I think this helped him get great results with his four-seamer as well, which had eight whiffs on the day. The only really concern I have is Ryan's changeup didn't get great results. It only had an eight CSW percentage as well. You need that third pitch, and he needs that pitch to play up consistently, especially if he wants the four-seamer to continue to have success. Uh, and want to pitch later into games. He'll likely get the Guardians in his next start, and he's actually pitched pretty well against them with two quality starts uh, and just four earned runs given up over 12 innings pitched against them. So, you know, I totally get starting him in this game. The one concern I have is obviously with that 106 uh, pitch count, you know, sometimes you can see a bit of a lag effect after a start where they go real deep like this. So just kind of keep that in mind, but I think that's a, probably a pretty good opportunity for him there against the Guardians. For the Chicago Cubs, Adrian Sampson went six innings pitched, giving up no earned runs, only two hits with three strikeouts and four walks. He did not give up a home run in the start, and he's actually been really good over his last seven starts. He has a 2.97 ERA over that time period, over 33.1 innings pitched with 22 strikeouts. You know, he's only given up four earned runs in his last four starts as well, so... I, you know, I really like what I'm seeing from him, but I also have no idea in this specific start how he got away with uh, the way he pitched. He got not a lot of strikeouts with only three, but he walked four hitters, and that is always going to come back and bite you if you do that too many times in a row, uh, especially, uh, I don't know how he got away with it, going up against the Mets, who have a great lineup, uh, and he only had eight whiffs in the day. I think where he managed to get away with it was he had a 46.7 ground ball percentage on the day, and really just the Mets did not have any clutch hitting uh, to go along with that. Overall, he's not going to strike out a lot of hitters, and that sort of limits his upside, and especially when you factor in his very high whip of 1.38, even over his last seven games uh, pitched, where he's been very, very good. So there's always that risk for a blow-up if those walks and the hits get away from him, but he's been solid most of the season, and has been pretty good. He gets Miami next. I'm definitely starting him there against that offense, but it's worth noting I would probably only be starting Samson in very good matchups. For the Pirates, Luis Ortiz made his Major League debut, going 5.2 innings pitched with zero earned runs given up, three walks, one hit, and five strikeouts. He had 11 whiffs on the day. He apparently sat around 99 uh, on his fastball, and actually even, according to StatCast, hit 100 on it at one point in the game. He had a slider that got a ton of whiffs, causing hitters to swing and miss on 50% of the sliders that they swung at, and boasted a... 44 CSW percentage on the day as a whole. Just a really nice looking pitch. Uh, he really needs to start adding a third pitch at some point as he only threw three changeups in the whole game. And he'll really need that third pitch to start working uh, deeper in games against better teams. But for now, it's nice to be excited about this young pitcher. And he really, really looked pretty darn good uh, with his you know, near 100 mile an hour heater and devastating slider. So keep an eye on Luis Ortiz. Might still be a pitcher mostly we're paying attention to for next year, but uh, let's see what he can do here down the stretch. The Pirates also got another pretty good performance out of the other end of their doubleheader. 
with Johan Oviedo going five innings pitched, giving up no earned runs, one hit, two walks, and four strikeouts. He had 12 whiffs uh, on the day as well. He had a really nice slider working for him. He got 10 whiffs with it. He And it also boasted a very nice 41% CSW rate. Uh, his fastball looked really, really nice too. It touched 97 at times, looking very, very good. It got only two whiffs on the day, but he was able to steal a lot of called strikes with it, giving it still a 33% CSW rate on the day. So definitely liked how he was using those two pitches. He doesn't still really have a third pitch as neither his curveball nor his changeup did much of anything uh, in the limited amount of time he used them. But it was nice to see, and it was nice to see him succeed. I know I betted against him yesterday, and I'm really happy to see him prove me wrong. I'd be very interested if he continues to throw this slider this well, if he'll start getting more strikeouts as he goes along, um, and more whiffs to go along with that, even though he had 10 of them with that pitch, which is pretty darn impressive. It's just going to be a question of how long can he get away with only having really those two pitches before we start to really trust him. It depends right now for me on the matchups he's coming into and see how he does the rest of the season, especially to then look forward into 2023. Uh, now, he does have Cincinnati coming up in his next start. Uh, obviously, there's some risk facing the same team twice in a row, but I'll probably start him there if I need, you know, the innings or a pretty good matchup to stream on any given day. I might start Alviedo there, uh, keep an eye on him, and let's see how he looks there. For the Astros, Hunter Brown went six innings pitched, giving up two earned runs with two walks, five hits, and six strikeouts. He only had six whiffs on the day, which is uh, a little surprising, but you love to see how well he pitched in this one, especially given how well he pitched in his first start. We want to see that consistency out of young pitchers, and to see two good starts back-to-back -back is really, really encouraging. Um, he looked great. His stuff still looks really, really electric. And the one downfall facing Detroit is that, obviously, he didn't really have to have his best stuff or show off some of his best stuff. So, in some ways, we're still wondering what he's fully capable of. But if you come down here and look, uh, he was stealing a ton of strikes. To give you an idea, his four-seam fastball had 17 called strikes on the day, uh, giving him a 37 CSW percent with his four-seam fastball. His knuckle curve worked really well, getting a 35% CSW rate. So there's a lot to like in what he's doing here. And if you're talking about that third pitch, he even managed to get a whiff with a slider, and that got him a few uh, called strikes stolen, and he ended up with a 20 CSW percentage. It'll be interesting to see how that slider continues to progress and grow as he gets more reps and more opportunities. Now, Verlander is coming back uh, supposedly next weekend which may leave Brown with no spot in the rotation. But I really hope Houston continues to keep utilizing him here down the stretch, keep getting him reps, and uh, he gets some more opportunities here. For the Angels, Jose Suarez went 5.1 innings pitched against the Guardians, giving up three earned runs with three strikeouts, no walks, and nine hits with one home run. Now, y'all know I'm a big proponent of Jose Suarez's and in this one, though, I was concerned a bit because the Guardians hit changeups really, really well, and that's sort of Suarez's bread-and-butter pitch. The thing is, on the other end of that, they do struggle against four-seamers, and Suarez really leaned in that direction and uh, capitalized to get a pretty solid start out of this one. He threw his four-seamer 37% of the time. He got really nice results with it, getting a 35 CSW percentage. He really was able to steal a lot of called strikes with it, uh, getting 11 of them. And then his slider, he used second most uh, in that pitch mix, throwing it 30% of the time, and it did pretty well as well, getting four whiffs and eight called strikes for a 44 CSW percentage. And again, I mentioned this last time when I talked about Suarez, is when we see him starting to actually have success with pitches that aren't his changeup, it's really easy to get excited about that. 
because of how good his changeup is. And that gives him a legit three-pitch mix there. And we can really see Suarez start to blossom here and grow heading into the rest of this season and then into next season. Now, he gets Detroit next, and he's been really good for a little bit now. Over his last 15 games, he's got 3.27 ERA. Uh, and over his last seven games, he's got 2.41 ERA. So I'm definitely trusting him against Detroit. I'm all over that. Uh, that should be a really nice start. So that's all the pitchers I liked from yesterday's action as well. Let's, before we dive into today's action, take a real quick break here. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Fantastic. Welcome back. I've got a new cup of coffee. I am ready to go. But before we jump into today's action, let's check in with Mark Paquette for the weather. Thank you very much, all. Well, we have a full slate on Wednesday, day and night games, but we will have no weather problems whatsoever. So go ahead, play whoever you have, because you're going to be good to go, whether you're in your DFS or in your... Uh, season-long playoffs. Have a good one, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you so much, Mark. Now, today's got some really interesting baseball action. It's not quite as action-packed as yesterday, but there are some things I'm looking forward to. The Padres are playing the Mariners, and that's a fun pitching matchup as we get Mike Clevenger going up against Luis Castillo. You know I get excited for watching younger pitchers uh, go up against good offenses, and Edward Cabrera is facing the Phillies, and that's a really exciting game to see how well he does there. We know this stuff is filthy. Can he put it all together against a really good offense? We have the Rays facing the Blue Jays. That's a fun matchup with Drew Rasmussen going up against Ross Stripling, as both pitchers have excelled so far this season. It'll be interesting to see who kind of bends and who breaks in this game. We also, in terms of really nice pitching matchups, we have the Brewers facing the Cardinals, and we've got Corbin Burns going against Adam Wainwright. That is two aces going toe-to-toe. That should be a really, really fun game to watch. Now, in terms of hitters that I'm looking to stream today, I like the Twins against Zach Greinke. So if you're looking to pick up, say, Jose Miranda or Gio Urshela, like I talked about earlier, this could be a really nice matchup for them. I like any Orioles you can get your hands on going against Patrick Corbin of the Nationals. You could look at, say, Gunnar Henderson if he's still out there in your league, or maybe Ramon Urias. That could be a really nice matchup as Corbin has clearly struggled all year. And then finally, any White Sox to get your hands on against Kyle Freeland of the Rockies. I mentioned earlier uh, Elvis Andrews. This is a really nice matchup for him. And then finally, in terms of any pitchers that I'm looking to stream, there aren't a lot of really great matchups that I like. One I'm going to recommend, and it's a bit of a risk, I'll fully admit, but again, the, the pickings are a bit slim here. Cal Quantrill for the Guardians going up against the Angels. They're at home, so they're in progressive field. And Quantrill has been absolutely incredible all 
year long and really since coming over to the Guardians when pitching in progressive field. He's been almost unbeatable. I don't even know if he's actually lost a game in progressive field yet. So Cal Quantrill could be a really nice start there against the Angels. It, it, like I said, it'll be a bit risky because he does still have to go through Trout and Otani, but uh, he has done so, so well at home that I could see making that start there. The other one I like is Rainy Contreras for the Pirates going up against the Reds. The Reds' offense is not very good, and Contreras could really do well against that lineup, and he's pitched pretty darn well all season long for a rookie pitcher. So those are the two streamers I like there. And really, that's all I got to talk about today. That is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today, and enjoy the rest of your baseball throughout the day. Good luck in all your matchups, and may the baseball gods uh, be with you. Thanks so much. This has been the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at PitcherList, and help support what we do by joining our Discord with PitcherList Plus at PitcherList.com slash plus.